As executive director of the Center for Victims of Torture, Kurt Gehring oversees an international staff with offices in Atlanta, St. Paul, and Washington, D.C., as well as healing projects in Africa and the Middle East. The Center for Victims of Torture provides comprehensive care for victims of government-sponsored torture. They conduct research and training. I am happy to introduce you to today's guest, Kurt Gehring. Kurt, welcome to Mind Talk. Thank you so much, Dr. Brewer. It's great to be with you. Now, Kurt, you heard me describe all the things that you do. Um, so clearly you're working in an 86-hour day. Uh, tell us about the decision to work with uh, torture victims of government-sponsored torture. What do you mean by government-sponsored torture? Well, the... Um the, the, the Convention Against Torture, uh, which arises out of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which was uh, agreed to by the United Nations uh, 70 years ago, um, is a, a convention, a treaty that grew out of that uh, Universal Declaration, a treaty that governments uh, developed, they signed, they ratified, and they're now responsible to implement. So while the... The, the 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 treaty was only uh signed uh by governments the 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 criminal law and the international humanitarian law that also arose out of that direction applies not only to government uh, sanctioned abuse but also by torture that's committed by uh, non-governmental entities um so uh, cvt actually works with with both survivors of both but but our, our main focus is on um, uh, survivors who have experienced torture at the hands of government officials. And how do you identify these victims of torture? Well, unfortunately, uh, they're not hard to identify, and uh, they come to us in in various ways. Um, if we happen to be in a new location uh, or we hear about uh, situations where uh, a torture is uh, in a, a, a significant part of uh, a repressive or uh, oppressive operation uh, somewhere, uh, then we might have um, a, a team in the field that uh, helps survivors uh, and often refugees uh, who have fled uh, the country, helps them understand the, you know, what, what happens, uh, what the symptoms of torture are, how it affects someone psychologically as well as as physically, uh, so some of those uh, individuals are identified or self-identified um, it, through those kinds of sessions. Many of them uh, show up at our clinics uh, in Africa or the Middle East. Some are referred to us by former, we call them clients, survivors who've been through our, our rehabilitative programs and who understand how their lives, how they've been a, better able to cope and, and live uh, with their. Uh, 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 traumatic experience after uh, having worked with uh, CVT or been through the CV, the Center for Victims of Torture Rehabilitative Program, and so they they see others who've experienced similar situations uh, and refer them them to us. So you know they come to us in in a range of ways, and uh, every day there are uh, new arrivals at our our doorsteps. What are some of the symptoms that you commonly see uh, that are experienced by individuals 
who have experienced torture? You know, survivors come to us with, with uh, both uh, physical, uh, physical and psychological uh, symptoms. You know, they might uh, come with the with the scars of of torture or the you know the the the, the evidence of, of of sheer physical brutality, the beatings, the broken bones, the teeth having been you know knocked out, uh, electric uh, shocks, cigarette burns. Uh, beatings on the soles of feet. They may have, you know, they may be physically wounded, and and there's a whole range of of methods, as 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 you and your listeners, uh, you know, can imagine. But there are also many uh, psychological forms of torture which don't leave the scars and don't leave the the physical evidence in the same way. They're you know they're hidden scars and they're no less severe. And often survivors tell us. They're even worse to, to 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 live with, to try to cope with, than the than the physical uh, brutality. Things like uh, being subjected to mock executions, uh, for example, being forced to watch uh, family members being tortured. Sometimes, uh, and this unfortunately has happened in in far too many locations, where uh, child soldiers are, you know, like children are abducted from their homes or villages. Uh, and are forced to participate in militias and often, uh, unfortunately, often kill members of their own family or, or kill their neighbors or their relatives. And, you know, those, you know, there might not be physical uh, uh, scars, symptoms of that, but it's quickly evident that uh, they, they bear uh, incredible psychological uh, uh, scars and, 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 and damage from what they've been forced to, to do. Well, just, you know, a a quick flash of imagining a child who is forced into the life of being a soldier and then forced to kill a family member. I mean, the the trauma is almost unimaginable. That's absolutely right, uh, Dr. Brewer, because... um, you know this is is a a, a feature um of recruitment uh, in some of the wars that we've seen in recent decades for example one of the most prominent and 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 uh, m- most widely known although still not nearly known enough is the 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 tactic uh, used and the strategies used by a group called the Lord's Resistance Army in the north of Uganda uh, in the in the 1980s and, and 1990s, where uh, a central part of their strategy was to recruit uh, children from villages in the north of Uganda, and then force them to become sometimes child soldiers, sometimes to become uh, porters to carry supplies. Uh, but part of the training process, uh, and often. Uh, to become, you know, uh, so-called wives of militia commanders, where, you know, they were uh, sexually uh, abused. They often bore children as a result of the rapes, and that was a, 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 a um, you know, a, a, a part of their their program that was designed uh, specifically designed to break children from their parents uh, if they didn't, if they weren't forced to kill their parents. You know, by by virtue of 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 uh, the being abducted um, and and being subjected to what they were forced to do, it created this this uh, division, of course, this incredible um, 
uh, gap between the, the family members and the abducted uh, children. And what so it's the, not only... What were the age range of yeah. these children? You know, it, they, it ranged from, from six, seven, eight-year-olds uh, all the way up to, you know, 17, uh, 18. Uh, so it was quite common uh, during that period uh, in, in villages of the north of Uganda uh, that uh, militia, members of the Lord's Resistance Army, as, as it was called, uh, abducted children from their villages, from their homes uh, during the, the night uh, and uh, took them off to become uh, part of the militia. You know, it, it, it was so widespread that there was a phenomenon during that period known as uh, child commuters, uh, because there was such a fear in that uh, part of Uganda during that period that children would be abducted, that they uh, moved at night, the children, to uh, uh, centers, United Nations centers or, or uh, places of refuge in larger uh, larger villages and, and some small cities, where, where they, they left for the night, and that's why they were called night commuters. They traveled by foot uh, at, at dusk. They slept in these, uh, these, these uh, uh, places of refuge for the night and then went back uh, you know, to their homes the following morning. Uh, and the reason for that is because they were uh, so fearful that, that they would be abducted uh, by militia members if they stayed at home. Kurt Gehring, who is the executive director of Center for Victims of Torture. We're going to take a break. Uh, Kurt, we'll be back in just a moment. Folks, my name is Pamela Brewer, and you're listening to Mind Talk. As I listen to the descriptions of some of the things, some of the experiences that your clients have had, it almost brings tears to my eyes. And I wonder how you and your staff deal with this on a daily basis. Yeah, it's a um, it's a part of our our workplace, and especially, but not only for clinicians. Our psychotherapists, psychologists, the doctors, the medical personnel that work with the nurses, the social workers—they're—they're they're, you know most uh, directly confronted with this on a on, on a daily basis. But it's not only the clinicians; it's also those who, in our communications or a development staff, who you know uh, put out the, the the materials, who who, who write up the, the testimonies. Uh, where for distribution, uh, you know those who work with with the media uh, in explaining what happens. So it's really uh, we have to pay a lot of attention um, to um, you know to second issues of secondary trauma, uh, and that means that 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 we're cognizant that that is an impact of uh, working with survivors of torture, uh, and that we need to take. Uh, appropriate measures in order to uh, uh, try to minimize the possibility of staff uh, becoming too overwhelmed and, and burning out. So we, we try to pay uh, a lot of it 
attention to self-care, for example, um, and have built that into our uh, our workplace culture and uh, environment. Uh, you know, staff are very committed and and you know deeply dedicated to uh, this work. Um, and uh, at the same time, to be effective in in their work, they also need to take care uh, of themselves. And so this is a constant, uh, um, you know, struggle in many ways because the needs are overwhelming. We always have waiting lists at each of our locations, and staff naturally want to be uh, as helpful as as they can be and help as many as as we can uh, can assist. Uh, and yet, uh, in order to do that. Um, in 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 the most uh, effective way the staff themselves need to be you know healthy uh, in all senses of the of of the word um and so it's it's really important that people take care of themselves we are very fortunate to have at uh, the center for victims of torture staff who've done this work uh, including the clinical staff for uh, 20 years for 25 years we have one uh, senior clinician who has been with us uh, almost since the beginning of the Center for Victims of Torture, uh, over 30 years now. Uh, CVT was founded in 1985, and this particular clinician has been with us for over 30 of those years. It sounds like that clinician needs to have a month-long vacation every year. <laughs> have I just added yes. to your budget? <laughs> <laughs> No, it's well deserved. It's needed, and it's it's well deserved. But it it really is. You know, we 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 are so fortunate organizationally to have, um, you know, individuals uh, on staff who are the most experienced, I would say, in the world in in dealing with torture survivors. I mean, it's not a, you know, a, a large field. Uh, it's it's actually pretty narrow and very specialized and. Uh, you know, of course, uh, you know, uh, psychotherapy and uh, psychology is an important background, physiotherapy, you know, to social work training. Uh, but to apply those skills and that discipline uh, specifically to survivors of, 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 of torture and war-related trauma is, is quite, you know, specialized in many respects. And we are fortunate to have, you know, quite a, a number of, of staff who've been with us for a long time and the value of that experience and learning over over the years and in some cases decades of of you know how we can provide the most effective care uh to help survivors get back on their feet again those who you know who need um specialized support and not all of them do but many of them uh do psychologically or physically or and and often both uh what we learn over you know, having having worked with now tens of thousands of individual survivors of torture, it really informs our methodology and and how we uh, structure our work going forward. And that's really important because we we want to be as effective and impactful as we as we can be. The numbers of survivors are are very very large. In the United States, we estimate there are as many as one million three hundred thousand torture survivors oh uh, in the U.S. And not all of them are in need of specialized care, uh, but many of them, many of them are. And so, part of our our mission is to is to rebuild, you know, to to heal the wounds of torture on as many of those individuals as we as we possibly can. Kurt, you've talked about dealing with so many people who were victims of torture. You yourself have been all over the world: Afghanistan, Bosnia, Israel, Taiwan. 
would you say that there is any particular place that you have been or any particular person with whom you have interacted that has had a particular impact on you? Yes, uh, Dr. Brew. There are, you know, there are, um, you know, situations that one comes across in the course of the the work that I have done uh, and that this organization does that leave you know, particular lasting uh, impacts or, you know, individuals whose interactions with you leave an, an uh, indelible impression which which stay with you. And, you know, there are several of those from, from you know, Afghanistan or from Iraq or from uh, Gaza where I spent some time. But one of the, the common strains of, 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 of those uh, impressions is the remarkable uh, resiliency of of individuals of human beings who suffered, you know, these incredible traumatic experiences, uh, the, the the absolute worst that any human being can experience, and it's not a you know a trauma resulting from a natural disaster. It's you know it's what what uh, one human being does to another human being, and yet you know people are able with a little bit of of support. Um, and professional help to find within them the courage and the strength to move beyond that traumatic event, to move move beyond their torture, and you know create uh, new lives, uh, to rebuild their lives, and uh, they go on to to do amazing things. You know, even if it's going back to school, you know, reconnecting with one's family. Uh, some of them. Uh, you know, become uh, really important uh, figures in the specialized fields that they, they they work on. I think of, for example, individuals like Juan Mendez, who was tortured in Argentina during the military junta in the 70s and, and early 80s, who, you know, had a horrible experience, uh, and he's written about this and described this, but has, has gone on to become a very prominent um, uh, human rights uh uh, activist and academic, but also became the United Nations Special Rapporteur on on torture. So here is someone who is who was who is a survivor, experienced that kind of of of, of um, horrendous treatment uh, at the hands of of uh, the Argentinian uh, junta, who went on to become a, a, an amazing uh, advocate uh, against torture at the highest circles of the United Nations. For folks who are thinking that this is something that this is a field that they might want to be a part of, what would you say are some core skills or mindsets that they need to have? Well, I and I, I, I first would would um, would encourage those who might be interested in this in this line of work uh, to, to pursue that interest. And the, the torture rehabilitation movement, as we call it, of which uh, my center uh, is, is uh, a part, uh, a leader, but, but is also a part because there are, are other organizations that are also working in this field, most of them you know, quite small and, um, and mostly staffed by clinical staff. Uh, so we need, uh, you know, psychotherapists. We need people uh, who have social work backgrounds, people who are physiotherapists. But we also need um, 
people who are fundraisers, people who understand uh, how to do uh, grant accounting, the financial staff. You know, we need people who uh, are skilled in information technology, people who are skilled at, at running particular uh, programs in various countries. So, you know, we look for, for um, you know, people who can best fit the job that's, that's being recruited for. But really, we need uh, people who, who understand and who have a, a, a deep commitment to uh, human rights, humanitarian uh, uh, work, who are committed to their fellow human beings, who bring their professional uh, and want to apply their professional expertise and, and experience to these kinds of situations. You know, increasingly, we are, are looking for uh, a, a a staff that represents the, both the country that we live in, but also the places where we operate. So in Jordan, for example, most of our staff are Jordanian or Palestinian staff. I see. In, in Kenya, for example, where we will have soon about 150 staff, they are almost all Kenyan or Somali or Somali Kenyan. Um, so we're, we, you know, we're, we're, we're very much um, moving forward with an emphasis to uh, building a sustainable organization with local health professionals uh, and other professionals from you know who are indigenous, uh, so that although we are an international NGO, you know the, the 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 work is best understood and best carried out with local professionals, and that's the that's increasingly what we are looking for. Kurt, we're going to take a break, uh, but when we come back, uh, we will get more information about how people can be helpful uh, in the work that you do. Folks, this is Pamela Brewer. You're listening to Mind Talk. We will be back in just a moment. One of the things that struck me as you were describing the kinds of skills that you were looking for, a lot of times when people hear about trauma work, the assumption is that the only people who are needed are trauma clinicians. So it was really interesting for me to hear you expand that out to IT people, fundraising people. I think that really helps listeners to understand that you can be other than a clinician and still be engaged in this incredibly important work. Absolutely, uh, Dr. Brewer. It's you know vitally important to run if one is going to run a larger organization to have the you know the, the kinds of expertise, uh, the institutional building expertise that allows us to run the kinds of programs that we run. So I didn't mention, for example, researchers, you know, people, scientists, you know, people who are 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 are, are skilled at evaluating uh, work. You know, we, for example, did a recently uh, a completed a randomized control uh, trial, uh, you know, which is a quite sophisticated scientific operation. And in order to do that, you know, we needed uh, uh, trained. Uh, researchers and, and people who knew what to look for, people who knew how to evaluate, how to do intake assessments, how to do follow-up work, how to 
how to uh, decipher the analytics that were gained, how to draw conclusions from the information, from the data that was, was gathered. You know, advocacy is another area with uh, uh, an advocacy office in, in Washington, D.C., and this is an area that is becoming increasingly important for us. Uh, we, we, we treat and work with survivors of torture, but we also work on, on, on policies that affect torture survivors uh, or torture survivor funding. So we need people in Washington, D.C. who understand, you know, the legislative process, the appropriations and authorizations process, who can develop the skills and the networks or bring those networks uh, with, with Congress or with the State Department, because those are important um, uh, uh, actors with us in, in, in implementing uh, our mission. So it really, it, it's the, the, the entire spectrum of, of, uh, of you know, jobs that are required to run an organization uh, like ours. But, uh, of course, uh, central to that and the core activity of, of ours is the, you know, the, the, the working with survivors and, and the clinical approach um, and, and, therefore, the, the psychotherapists, the physiotherapists, the social workers, etc., you know, again, I, I really appreciate your sort of broadening, uh, providing a broad perspective of what it takes to do the work that you do. Um, you know, at the risk of repeating myself, I know that there are so many people who will, who are likely listening who say, I, I want to help, but, I, but I'm not a clinician. I'm not a therapist. So what do I do? So I really appreciate that. V- very quickly, um, we've been talking about uh, victims of torture, but now... Now, we're also talking about uh, outlets that you have, as you described, in Washington, D.C., St. Paul, Atlanta. You know, for those people who believe that torture and the results of torture only happen over there and not over here, wherever over here may be, what do you want them to recognize as we close out our conversation today? Well, uh, one thing I think it's important to understand is that um, torture, unfortunately, is continues to be a widespread and systematic practice, unfortunately, in too many countries uh, around uh, the world, and and often not an isolated uh, event. That too often it is it is part and parcel of government policy to stifle dissent, to try to control, to intimidate the opposition. To, uh, to try to you know, gather information, um, and so it's a it's a widespread problem, um, and but it's also true that 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 it can be uh, contained and it can be stopped, um, and those who have experienced it, it's it's those are traumatic experiences, uh, but but it is possible, and we see this uh, again and again that individuals are are able to. Again, uh, with with only uh, sometimes a, a tiny amount of, of of specialized attention, are able to move beyond uh, their torture and and go on to create you know new lives and productive lives and and it is so uh, rewarding to you know to see how resilient and how courageous uh, people are and and what they're able uh, to do. Um, so you know we are are we we need the support of of uh, as many um, contributors, for example, as we as as we can can find and who would support this mission. We also need people to take action when there are issues uh, in Congress or policies uh, that are. Uh, uh, 
promulgated by this administration um, that have a negative impact on uh, torture survivors, many of whom, most of our clients, for example, are asylum seekers. And the restrictions now being imposed on asylum seekers uh, are very detrimental to the recovery process of uh, torture survivors here in the United States. Kurt Gehring, Executive Director of Center for Victims of Torture. Very, very quickly, can you give us your web address? Yeah, our web address is uh, CVT, uh, Center for Victims of Torture, dot org, CVT, uh, dot org. And there's information there about the places we work, what we do, uh, about our staff, how people be- can become involved, what actions they can take, and how they might contribute. Wonderful. Thank you again so much, Kurt Gehring, Executive Director, Center for Victims of Torture. Thank you, Kurt. Thank you very much, Dr. Brewer. And folks, thank you for joining us today on this edition of Mind Talk. Mind Talk is brought to you daily as an educational public service. It is not intended to replace any work that you may do, may, that you may choose to do with a medical, mental health, or other professional. I absolutely encourage you to take a look at the website for Center for Victims of Torture if you would like to help in any way. Mind Talk is produced by Jim Brown and Twenty Six by Two communications. MindTalk is available to you on demand by going to M-Y-N-D-T-A-L-K dot O-R-G. And at the website, you can sign up for free gifts. You can learn more about the other platforms where you can access MindTalk. Um, if you'd like to send an email to me, that's P-A-M-E-L-A at M-Y-N-D-T-A-L-K dot O-R-G. And folks, remember always, if it's unacceptable, unacceptable. You take care.